A replay of this call will be available at www.smallcapvoice.com and will be archived on the Investor Relations section of the TerraTech website. Before we begin, please let me remind you that during the course of this conference call, TerraTech's management may make forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are based on current expectations that are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. These risks are outlined in the risk factors section of our SEC filings. Any forward-looking statements should be considered in light of these factors. Please also note, as a safe harbor, any outlook we present is as of today, and management does not undertake any obligation to revise any forward-looking statements in the future. With me on the call today are Mr. Derek Peterson, Teratech's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Mr. Mike James, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I would now like to hand the call over to Derek. Derek, please go ahead. Hey, Phil, thank you very much. And again, thank you, everybody, for joining us today as we discuss Teratech's fiscal first quarter of 2018 results and, of course, as usual, provide an operational and business update. Today on the call with me, I have Mike James, our Chief Financial Officer, who a little bit later in the call will give a deep dive into our financial results uh, and as well as discuss the operational progress we've made so far this year. So just a quick recap on 2018. We entered the year with strong sales momentum. And again, this was the first quarter that cannabis for adult use market was fully legal in the, in the state of California starting January 1. Summary of results were $8.6 million in revenue for the first quarter. That's a 26% increase compared to the prior year quarter. In today's call, I'm going to discuss our progress across California and Nevada, as well as give you guys an update about New Jersey. I'll also give some in-depth details on each of our project, projects, both those that are already kind of fully operational, uh, and as well as some of the in-progress uh, opportunities that we have uh, going on across the country. Our vision is, again, to build a vertically integrated seed-to-sale cannabis business that dominates key cannabis markets within the U.S. Starting with California, I'm going to go over, I'm going to give a full footprint of the company. We have a lot of new shareholders, so I never want to start these calls with the assumption that everybody knows what our current asset base is. So we're going to go over what our current asset base is. We'll graduate from there into what our kind of expansion plan is, some of the immediate opportunities that we're currently working on go over the financial results in deeper detail, and then close out with a quick summary and then right into questions and answers for everybody. Uh, so as I mentioned, adult use sales became legal January 2018. We received our state uh, California temporary authorizations to distribute and retail cannabis as well as our authorizations to cultivate and manufacture cannabis before the turn of the year. California, as many of you know, is the world's largest cannabis market. It's home to approximately 40, 40 million people. The state itself hosts approximately 250 million people from a tourism standpoint, and we're proud that we've positioned ourselves to have first mover advantage in the anticipation of a significant market ramp over the coming months. Adult use sales across the state were slow to ramp in the first couple months, and I'll go into a little bit deeper detail so everybody has an understanding of why as we started out the quarter. We entered the first quarter, we entered the turn of the year in the adult use licensing with all of our permits in hand. However, there were a lot of strategic partners, wholesale distributors, different brands, other retail distributors that didn't have their permits. And I think it was late February, there were only about 150, 160 licensed retail dispensaries at that point in the entire state versus, you know, a universe of uh, several thousand that people have the ability to distribute. Now, what did that mean? That meant there was an odd pairing, if you will, between licensed retail dispensaries, licensed distributors, licensed manufacturers and producers and cultivators. 
and nobody really knew necessarily who to do business with. So as a permitted dispensary or as a permitted wholesale manufacturer, you only wanted to do business with other permitted entities so you didn't put your, uh, your, your permits at risk with the state from a regulatory standpoint. If you started distributing or continued to distribute it to unlicensed retailers or those wholesale or those retail distributors ended up you know, you know, selling uh, product to, to the public and didn't have their licenses fully in place, you put yourself at regulatory risk. So what that meant for is if you were a producer, a cultivator, a manufacturer, you only had a very small universe of dispensaries to sell to out of the gate, where if you backed up to November and December of the prior year, you had a gargantuan footprint. You had thousands of retail dispensaries. So what happened at the turn of the year is there was this odd pairing of people that had permits and people that did not have permits, and nobody could cross over and do business with the entities that did not have permits. So as a retailer, it meant a smaller university, a universe of products that were available to put on your shelves, and as a manufacturer or cultivator, it meant a smaller universe of retail dispensaries to distribute to. And for us, sitting across the vertical on both retail and manufacturing, it meant a bit of a dip in revenue for January and February. Now, where we're at today, more and more licensees come online on a daily basis, which means our breadth of product increases at, at the store level, which means the amount of stores we can distribute our IVEX products to increased uh, you know, day in and day out. We think that's going to be, you know, begin to continually normalize throughout the year, but January and February were kind of a pretty odd time for a lot of people, and I think a lot of people then migrated back to the black or call it gray market, if you will, to conduct business there, and now they're starting to migrate back into the regulated market as well as enforcement is increasing out of the gate for the gray market operators. To, pre to prepare us for scale our production and meet this projected demand going into the new year, we're building out several of our cultivation production and retail capacity throughout California. I'll dive into a little bit deeper detail as the call goes on. So our existing footprint right now, we'll start off with California. We have a dispensary in Northern California in downtown Oakland that's been in operation for us when we acquired them since April 2016. That dispensary has an attached cultivation just adjacent to it. It's not a giant cultivation. It's about 130 lights. Uh, that cultivation is a producing boutique products for our retail dispensary. We're in the process of rehabbing and updating that facility right now to get better yields and get better productivity out of it. In addition, we had an uh, a, a, a extraction and production lab at that campus as well. We're in the process of migrating that facility down to the Southern California market to a large campus we're developing down here, which, again, I'll talk to you about as we, uh, as we cross over into our in-progress facilities that, that, that are taking place within the state. In Santa Ana, we uh, entered the Southern California market in September last year by acquiring the reserve dispensary, as many of you have seen. That's been under our operations and under the Bloom brand um, since that time frame. So Oakland dispensary, Southern California, Santa Ana dispensary as far as retail is concerned in California. In the Nevada marketplace, we have four retail dispensaries that currently exist. Three are located around the Strip on all sides, and one of them is in downtown Reno marketplace. Um, in addition to that, in New Jersey, we have a five-acre hydroponic farm. That's where we grow our edible garden produce brand, everything from basil to other herbs to leafy greens, lettuces. Those are distributed through the Midwest as well as the Northeast under uh, Kroger's, Marshes, and, and companies like that. So graduating from there, I want to talk about some of the ongoing projects that we're working throughout multiple markets. 
And again, we didn't give a financial forecast for this year. And one of the reasons that we, we, we decided to not do that was we have very limited control from a regulatory standpoint when we actually get our final permits in place. So we can complete construction, we can complete all of our internal processes, our hiring, but you know, those can deviate 30, 60 days. So 30, 60 days can be pretty material when you're trying to forecast financials. So we decided not to forecast financials for this year just because, again, we have limited control over when some of the permits actually get placed uh, in our hands to begin operation. That being said, what I wanted to do was talk about some of our in-progress uh, CapEx and construction projects and at the same time, give you some revenue estimates of what we think those entities can yield at current market conditions um, based on full capacity. And that can kind of give you a, a quasi-understanding of what the revenue potential is for some of the projects that we're working on. So first and foremost, up in Northern California, we've talked about this in some of the public filings and releases previously, we're building out a large-scale cultivation facility that's about 13,000 square feet, not too far away from the existing Bloom dispensary. Uh, that facility we expect to be fully operational by late 2018, and again, that facility will produce additional flour that we can use for our IVEX wholesale product to be distributed to our existing Bloom stores as well as outside stores in the regulated market in California. At full capacity under current price per pound, price per gram market conditions, we think that facility will yield us between three and four million dollars of top line revenue. Coming down to Santa Ana, uh, we purchased two very large properties in the Santa Ana Southern California market. For those of you that don't know, Santa Ana is taking a leadership position as a city down here in Southern California for the expansion of uh, adult use and medical cannabis activities across the spectrum. And we want to make sure that we obviously participate in that. It's a wonderful demographic. It's very well positioned to distribute through all of the Southern California market. It's freeway-centric. You have some of the major arteries reaching L.A., the Inland Empire, the beach communities in Southern California, all intersecting around Santa Ana. So it was just a great market for us to stake, you know, put our flag in the ground, not to mention it's close to our corporate headquarters. So we purchased a couple buildings, as I said, uh, and I'm going to refer to those buildings as Carnegie and Dyer. So Carnegie and Dyer are the streets that these buildings are located on. First and foremost, the Dyer property is a 44,000-square-foot facility that we built out on three acres. There we're going to be building a very large-scale cultivation facility and have plans to build a new retail facility if we receive the permits for these in the next couple months. Our intention with that facility is also to build out a large-scale cannabis event complex. Southern California in particular, as well as the whole state, has been really suffering from having a forum that's available for cannabis consumers to host summer concert series, events, those types of things. And this, this property, because it's situated on three acres and it's very well uh, proximate to the freeways, a ton of parking, we thought would be a great opportunity to utilize not only for cultivation and retail dispensaries, but at the same time create this event complex to continue to drive traffic and showcase our brand, uh, brand penetration in the Southern California market. So potential revenue at Dyer at full capacity under current market conditions on the retail side. This has amazing frontage on Dyer Road, which is right adjacent to the 55 freeway. It's one of the busiest on and off ramps in Southern California marketplace. We think that retail dispensary based upon uh, uh, population density metrics that we've pulled from our other locations can do 
somewhere between seven and ten million dollars in revenue. We should know not in the not distant future, probably about forty-five days or so, maybe sixty days, whether or not we're receiving that that permit. We feel very well positioned in the city to obtain that permit. So seven to ten million in revenue out of that facility at full operations, and we believe at after receiving permits we could have that open towards the end of the year. On the cultivation side of the equation, we think the potential revenue at full capacity under current market conditions we can achieve approximately 10 to 15 million in revenue from a from a cult, from a cultivation of flowers standpoint at that facility, uh, and we could have that likely completed by Q2 2019. We again, we also intend to build out a large scale extraction facility in Santa Ana as well as part of the permitting process. I'm hesitant to release uh, revenue expectations for a extraction and production facility just because you can do tens of millions of dollars out of a small facility. It's not so much the square footage as it is, you know, how long and how often you're running the machines that are processing and producing the product at the end of the day. But we'll, we'll give more granularity as, at that side of the equation as we build these facilities out and start pushing the IVEX brand in the multiple marketplaces. And San Leandro, as we've announced in the past, we're building out not only a new retail facility, but also an extraction and production facility in the San Leandro marketplace. For those of you who don't know, San Leandro's about a 30-minute drive south of the Oakland facility. We estimate that that dispensary at full capacity could do between 4 and $6 million per year, and we anticipate the extraction facility to be completed by Q3. And revenue capabilities there, of course, are significant, but I'll categorize that in the same manner I did last time. It just depends on, you know, the volumes that we're able to achieve out of the wholesale distribution with the IBEX brand. Going back to the retail dispensary, again, we anticipate having that completed by late June, but then, of course, have to wait for both local and state approval. So that should be an accretive addition to the revenue uh, here shortly in the uh, California marketplace. As a result of this infrastructure build-out and developments in the market, our California operations are well-positioned to drive top-line revenue and growth throughout 2018. These existing projects that we discussed, they have the potential to add between 24 and $35 million, notwithstanding any additional extraction facility revenue, as I discussed, uh, to the company. So through organic growth as well as our M&A strategy, we expect to achieve a footprint within the California market that allows for production of up to 20,000 pounds per year of cannabis. And that's notwithstanding any other you know, facilities we decide to build, any other M&A or any other uh, organic permitting we decide to undertake at this, at this juncture. So jumping over to Nevada real quick. Uh, cultivation and extraction, as we mentioned on our last conference call during the first quarter, we completed construction of our 30,000-square-foot cultivation facility in Sparks, Nevada, and uh, we're close to finishing our 15,000-square-foot cannabis extraction facility in Reno, Nevada. Those are the facilities we've done under the joint venture with our partners, New Leaf, in the Nevada marketplace. Uh, this is going to significantly not only expand our production capability, our top-line revenue, but obviously produce extreme gross margin expansion to our retail facilities in those marketplaces. We're very pleased to announce we received our state approval on the cultivation last Wednesday, so we're ready to fire up uh, plants and start producing. Uh, for the, as far as the production and extraction facility is concerned, we expect to be complete and licensed within the next few months. Again, we'll keep shareholders aware of uh, developments as we progress through that process. The cultivation facility, again, at full capacity and under current market conditions, we believe can add six to eight million in top line revenue between California and Nevada opportunity. We have the ability to almost double the revenue footprint of the company. And that's just off the asset base that we have now. Again, notwithstanding any additional M&A, notwithstanding any additional organic growth, we decide to jump into. 
So jumping from there over to New Jersey, at Edible Garden, that's, the, again, the entity that produces our leafy herbs as well as our greens. Revenue increased 40% as sales of our expanded line of organic and locally grown salads and greens gained significant momentum. We're going to continue to invest in building out its distribution channels, and we're constructing a new pack house on the, on the property, which will allow us to produce cut herbs, and produce, which is a produce line that we expect to be done by Q4. That segment of the business gives us a strong foothold in the New Jersey market. The New Jersey cannabis opportunity, everybody's been asking a tremendous amount of questions about that. We're expecting, first and foremost, after the executive order was signed by Governor Murphy, an expansion on the medical permitting processes. Then, after that, we see some semblance of adoption of adult use. We think that's going to likely come in the latter part of the year. But out of the gate, we believe that medical licenses are going to be expanding and the company will have the ability to compete for those medical licenses for both retail dispensaries as well as cultivation facilities and extraction facilities. So our objective, number one, will be to go after those types of permits and then ultimately apply either through a merit-based application process and or the, 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 the fact that they may just give them to the existing operators like they've done in multiple marketplaces. We're not sure how that's going to shape up, but we're positioning ourselves for the expanded medical and then the hope will graduate into the adult use market. Our track record in the state of operating a successful agricultural business we think is going to give us a distinct advantage over other competitors in that market. Jumping over to the capital side of the company, we're, again, very pleased with the progress that we've made growing our footprint in our core states, being California, Nevada, and New Jersey. There's a major opportunity for us to grow the business. And again, before I turn the call over to our CFO, Mike, I wanted to touch on our cash balances a bit. We are very well capitalized right now. We had $4.5 million in cash as of March 31st, 2018. During the quarter, the company secured $40 million investment commitment to be made in eight tranches of $5 million over 24 months. One of the reasons I always break up these capital commitments into multiple tranches is I never want these capital commitments to convert at any single time with a major significant portion weighing down the, uh, weighing down the stock price. So we normally try to align our capital infusion into tranches, and we try to associate those tranches with our CapEx needs for our build-out and other operating concerns that we have uh, going on at the company. This capital injection is going to be primarily used to build out the company's infrastructure, all those opportunities that I just spoke to you about to bring those to fruition to, again, achieve additional top-line revenue. The hope is to double the, at the very minimum, double the top-line revenue of the company with the implementation of these facilities. But more importantly, our cost of production is going to drop significantly when we start you know, migrating, purchasing away from the wholesale market and start contributing more wholesale, more kind of core product from our own cultivation and extraction facilities, we should see substantial gross margin expansion from that activity alone. With that, I'm going to turn the call over to Mike James, Terratech's Chief Financial Officer, to review our financials. Mike? Thank you, Derek. Good afternoon, everyone. I will now provide you with a summary of our first quarter 2018 results. For the more detailed results, please refer to the press release that we issued earlier today, which is posted on our website, along with the Form 10-Q, filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In addition, please note that we compile our financials using U.S. GAAP, including our non-operating expenses. For the first quarter ended March 31, 2018, we generated revenues of $8.6 million compared to $6.8 million for the first quarter ended March 31, 2017, an increase of $1.8 million, or 26.2%. The increase was driven by sales in the cannabis segment which increased 24.2% due to higher sales 
from the company's four Nevada-based dispensaries, primarily due to the implementation of adult use sales, which began in January of 2017. Edible Garden revenues increased 40% as our expanded offerings drove sales growth. A gross profit for the first quarter ended March 31, 2018 was $1.6 million, compared to a gross profit margin of $400,000 for the first quarter ended March 31st of 2017, an increase of $1.7 million, or 358.8%. The increase in gross margin percentage was attributable to the cannabis segment, which had $1.6 million and $400,000 gross profit for the first quarter ended March 31st, 2018 and 2017, respectively, or 22% and 6.6% gross margin for the fiscal quarters ended March 31st, 2018 and 2017, respectively. The Edible Garden Herbs and Produce segment gross profits increased from a negative $53,000 for the first quarter ended March 31st of 2017 to a positive 21000 for the first quarter ended March 31st of 2018. Selling general and administrative expenses for the first quarter ended March 31st of 2018 were $8.4 million compared to $6.4 million for the first quarter ended March 31st of 2017, an increase of approximately $2 million or 31.9%. The increase was partially due to an increase in the salaries and related payroll tax expenses due to new hires. We realized a net loss attributable to Terratech of approximately $10 million, or $0.16 cents per share, for the first quarter ended March 31st of 2018, compared to a net loss of $10.1 million, or $0.27 cents per share, for the first quarter ended March 31st of 2017. Now turning to the balance sheet. On March 31st of 2018, we had a cash balance of approximately $4.5 million, compared to a cash balance of approximately $5.4 million at December 31st of 2017. We had no short-term debt as of March 31st of 2018. Long-term debt increased from approximately $6.6 million to approximately $13.2 million during the three months ended March 31st of 2018. Stockholders' equity as of March 31st of 2018 amounted to approximately $85.7 million compared to $76.8 million as of December 31st, 2017. During the first quarter, the company secured a $40 million line of credit commitment to be made in eight tranches of $5 million each over 24 months, and as of May 10th, 2018, the company received $5 million under this line. Now I'd like to turn the call back over to Derek for some closing comments. Hey, Mike, thank you. And I just want to back up a little bit because I forgot to discuss the Carnegie building uh, in, in detail. So, again, we went over the Dyer property, and the Carnegie property, we're also submitting applications for retail cultivation as well as an extraction facility there. And uh, we've already submitted the retail application. That window closes at the end of the month, and most jurisdictions take anywhere from two to four weeks to go through a scoring period. So we should know somewhere shortly whether or not we're successful in obtaining that permit. Our understanding right now is on June 4th we should be seeing 
cultivation and extraction permit opportunities opening up in Santa Ana, and they are not capping anything is my understanding right now. Now, things can change, but as of right now, they're not putting caps on the cultivation and extraction facilities. Those caps will be more organic in nature due to, to very stringent zoning regulations as well as just basic scarcity of properties in the Southern California market. Light industrial vacancy rates are about one-half of one percent. So there's not very many opportunities to open up facilities here, and we were able to secure two great ones. The Carnegie facility, we're not certain whether or not we're going to do redundancies there or whether or not we're going to monetize that opportunity in another fashion. That being said, we're pushing forward on the permits, but if we don't open, we might flip the permits to somebody. We might sell the buildings for an extreme profit. We might lease the buildings out to another operator. We might operating themselves. So we're staying versatile on that from an operating standpoint. If we need it for our own organic growth, we'll certainly build out the infrastructure, uh, open up the dispensaries, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth, and conduct operations. However, if it ends up being redundant in nature from a leverage standpoint, we'll, we'll monetize that in another fashion. So. Um, we'll keep you posted as we're developing our opportunities down here in the Santa Ana market, but we've essentially parlayed this acquisition that we made in the, the Santa Ana dispensary to gain us some competitive advantage in going into these new permitting processes being an existing operator. So we feel very comfortable about our positioning, and we think that we have a great opportunity to walk out with substantial uh, increased organic permits uh, in the uh, Santa Ana marketplace. So in summary, uh, we entered 2018 with strong sales momentum. We had gross margin expansion that increased substantially over the same period as last year, but also a significant improvement over Q4 2017. And that's one of the promises our management's made to our shareholder base over the prior quarters is that we will have a heavy focus on gross margin expansion. And we think the real we think the real uh, competitive advantage we achieve is when a lot of this infrastructure comes online is when we see significant and substantial and accretive gross margin expansion. In the meantime, we're constantly trying to leverage our position to buy product cheaper and then obviously trying to sell product for the most advantageous price possible. Stockholders' equity during the quarter increased from 76 million from 76 million at Q4 last year to almost 86 million. The cannabis segment now accounts for 85% of total revenues, and this is expected to increase as the California adult use market gains traction. Over the next several months, we're going to be focused on our infrastructure build-out and moving forward with various permitting applications that are underway in multiple markets. We've got major construction projects, as we discussed, in California. We're very excited about the opportunity here. In Nevada, we've created a strong retail brand, and our strategy there is to expand our cultivation capabilities. And that's very advanced, and as a result of the completion of the Sparks and Reno cultivation extraction facilities, we're going to have the ability to push the IVXX brand out very aggressively throughout the Nevada marketplace. With that, I'd like to wrap, and I'd like to turn the call back over to Phil. Phil, I'm sure we have some uh, questions to run through, and we can, uh, we can answer those now. All right. Thank you, Derek. Uh, the first question, can you provide an update on the Van Breed litigation? Is there likely to be any impact on Edible Gardens or any other company operations? Thanks, Phil. Yeah, we don't see any impact to Edible Gardens nor any of the other companies' operations. We're obviously spending a tremendous amount of energy on that. Uh, like most companies, and I hate to do this, but like most companies, we don't comment on a granular level for litigation. But I will tell you this. You know, we, we believe there to be a significant breach in fiduciary responsibility. We think the company was damaged, and we are going to work aggressively to protect our share, shareholders, period, exclamation point. We don't take this kind of activity lightly, and again, we are going to be aggressive in our stance in terms of recouping damages for the company. Um, that being said, uh, you know, I can point people to the AKs that we filed on the litigation 
investigation. You can read the summary complaints. They're extremely detailed in nature. That should probably answer almost every question that anybody has about our positioning on what took place. And we'll try to give consistent updates as time goes on and material activity takes place as far as litigation is concerned. Okay, second question. Uh, what is management's strategic plan to increase shareholder value? Are there plans to grow via acquisition organically, et cetera? Uh, I mean, the biggest, the biggest um, strategic plan right now, as I said, is to continue to build out the uh, production and cultivation facilities in the California market and then get the uh, cultivation and extraction facilities ramped up in the uh, Nevada marketplace because that's immediate accretive activity that, again, not only contributes to top-line revenue expansion but drops our cost of production significantly. Um, and I, you know, as a general understanding, you know, cannabis can can retail for five to seven thousand a pound. The wholesale market is, you know, fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars a pound, depending on the quality of product. But your cost of production at indoor facilities, you know, can be six or seven hundred dollars a pound. So six to seven hundred dollars a pound, rolling up to five to seven on the retail side of the equation, is significant gross margin expansion. So that's where most of our effort and capital is going right now, because that's where we think this most significant accretive effect for a shareholder standpoint is to start to produce financials with unreal, un, unreal uh, gross margins associated with them and then have the productivity associated with that. So that's where most of our energy is going right now. We hope to achieve a significant penetration with the IVEX brand as we increase the backbone or the capital uh, uh, facilities to be able to produce additional products. So, again, most of our energy is going into the development of that footprint. And then, again, we'll see what opportunities New Jersey presents to us. But there we obviously want to utilize the existing facility if the town allows us to. If it doesn't allow us to, we will certainly find alternate locations to build not only cultivation and extraction, but have multiple retail facilities in multiple areas. And, we're, again, we're focusing right now on California, Nevada, and New Jersey as our primary markets. Okay. Uh, do you think California Senate Bill 1302, which would permit marijuana delivery throughout the state, will pass? And if so, how will it impact Teratech? Yeah, we feel pretty confident about that passing, and we're looking forward to it. We don't want to just be confined to our you know, brick-and-mortar walls in terms of conducting sales. We'd like to build out a significant delivery footprint in multiple marketplaces in California. More and more people's purchasing habits are migrating towards online purchasing, Amazon, that type of model, and we want to make sure we're obviously positioned for that from a competitive standpoint. Um, that being said, we're also continuing to try to increase our organic footprint and uh, as far as re- you know, brick-and-mortar retailers are concerned to have additional branding for the Bloom brand and additional penetration for our IVEX wholesale brands that uh, will ultimately support the distribution for our cultivation and extraction facilities. There's a handful of other bills at play in California right now. The nice part about California is, is the, the Bureau is very engaged with the operators in the state right now to go back and make a bunch of changes that allow us to conduct our business even more easily. They're even looking at reducing the tax burden and those types of things during the short run so it gives the industry a chance to, no pun intended, grow and uh, establish some roots, if you will. Next question. What is Terratech's current production capacity for flour in California and Nevada? Uh, well, again, we're not producing any flour in Nevada right now, and I don't have the breakouts on that, Phil, uh, at this juncture, you know, independently from everything else. But um, I think I mentioned on the last call, you know, as time progresses, um, we want to get more granular in our filings. We want to begin to not only break out the K-1 
cannabis segment from the produce segment, but in the cannabis segment, we want to give greater detail of where the revenue is coming from so shareholders and investors can understand, you know, what's contributing what in multiple jurisdictions. Um, so we're working towards that. We should see better, uh, better granularity on a go-forward basis as we start to issue additional cues and following up into next year's K. But that is certainly one of our focuses, to be able to get better transparency into what assets across the spectrum are contributing uh, to, the, uh, to, to the corporate uh, entity, uh, Terratech. Uh, okay. Uh, how many pounds would the New Jersey facility be able to produce if and when it switches to cannabis? Oh wow, um, we're, we're we're talking tens of millions of dollars out of there. I mean, we ran some analysis earlier, and we haven't done anything formally, but you know, depending on market conditions and the appetite for the product, and what what kind of saturation is going to take place, and what the price per gram or price per pound will look like back there, you know, that facility of five acres could easily produce you know upwards of thirty million dollars in product. So. Uh, and again, that's notwithstanding any extraction. So obviously we're working heavily to be able to utilize that facility or cross-purpose that facility, if you will. Uh, but, you know, there's so much that's dependent on local approvals. We deal with that in California. There are local municipalities and cities that will end up developing moratoriums. There are local municipalities that, like Santa Ana, that want to put a stake in the ground and say, hey, we'd like to be an epicenter. We want to drive business to our community. Um, so a lot of that's going to be uh, dependent on what the local municipality allows us to do there. And we're working aggressively with lobbyists. We're working with legislators right now. We're showcasing our brands. We're helping to try to develop policy to make sure all the regulation that's passed there is entrepreneurial friendly. We want to learn from the mistakes that have been made in California and other, uh, other jurisdictions. New Jersey, as many of you may know and some don't, sent out a bunch of their political leaders, legislators, regulators, and staffers out to the Nevada marketplace. We had a great opportunity to showcase the Bloom brand. We put up tours at our facility so people could understand what the, uh, what the facilities look like, what the operations look like, what the staffing and the economic impact could look, look like. So we're, you know, we're, our, our, our brand is very ingrained in the legislators' mind. Uh, back there, and we've had a great opportunity to give feedback to them about how we think the regulation should sit, so the industry truly has a chance to, to, to again, you know, produce uh, effective returns from not only a tax collection standpoint, but more importantly, from a job creation standpoint and uh, overall economic effect standpoint. Okay. Uh, next question: um, How much money is earmarked for M&A following the recent capital raise? Uh, we haven't earmarked a specific amount of money straight for M&A. And a matter of fact, we've migrated a little bit away from M&A right now and more towards organic growth for a couple reasons. Uh, everybody knows the activity and capital raising that's been taking place in the Canadian marketplace. A lot of these Canadian companies that are trading at these unreal valuations are obviously buying assets down in the U.S. marketplace, specifically California, Nevada, and some other markets. And uh, they've raised valuation expectations, and we're not going to chase valuations. So we want to make sure we have a disciplined approach to our M&A strategy, and we're not chasing valuations. Uh, so that being said, there's a tremendous amount of organic, per organic permitting opportunities that have come across in some of the key markets that are most important to us, L.A., Southern California. So we're back to the grind of going through the application process in multiple markets. And we don't mind that because we've got a great track record. We've got 100% success rate in the markets that we've gone after. So we want to leverage our infrastructure, our capabilities there, and continue to expand not only our wholesale footprint, but our, especially our retail footprint, utilizing the, uh, utilizing the organic permitting approach. The time frame's obviously a little bit longer, but the economics are far more attractive at the end of the day because, you know, the cost of obtaining a permit 
is you know several hundred thousand dollars, and the cost of building out your average retail facility is about a million bucks. So for a couple million bucks, you can have a facility up and running versus having to spend some egregious multiple. That being said, we're obviously consistently and aggressively having conversations on the M&A front, but we just have a strict discipline put in place. So we're always trying to play the long game and the short game, and we just came off the heels of you know a couple good acquisitions, and so we want to follow those up with some organic growth opportunities, and that takes it a lot easier on the cap table at the end of the day. Great. Uh, with the Santa Ana dispensary coming online last fall, what has the reception been so far in Southern California? How did the market dynamics compare to Northern California, i.e. Oakland? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a different consumer market. The discretionary income down here in Southern California, I think, is a lot greater than it is up in the Oakland marketplace, though. The Oakland demographic's changing pretty drastically. Uh, Patient counts in Oakland are are significant, obviously. Um, Our location down here is not the greatest location in the world, but we've certainly parlayed that permit into a bunch of other opportunities, and we're going to be looking at some opportunities to potentially relocate that facility to a better section of town at the end of the day. So um, the reception down here for the brand has been great. There's a void down here as well. Um, for people that have, uh, uh, you know, expectations to walk into very manicured and developed facilities with same sets of SOPs. And, again, there's little things from a shopper sentiment standpoint that, that, that attract and build brand loyalty, and we're working to further ingrain ourselves so that we increase brand loyalty across the board. And those are things like, you know, the shopper cards, you know, the, the, the reward cards. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to go to a retail dispensary or retail store, am I, do I want to build rewards with a company that just has one location, or do I want to build rewards with a company that has multiple avenues and multiple demographics and locations for me to be able to utilize those rewards? And that ends up driving traffic, right? So we pick up, you know, extra business from people that want to make sure that they're building reward points for, place, for a company that they can use up in Northern California if they happen to go to Las Vegas. I think it's something like 33 or 35 percent of the tourism that, uh, they, that, that finds its way uh, into the Nevada marketplace, specifically Las Vegas, comes from California. So we were trying to build a lot of brand loyalty from that perspective and uh, leveraging that in multiple marketplaces in the California uh, uh, industry. So, you know, great reception down here from a branding standpoint, a little bit different of a consumer. The vape products and the edible products are in high demand down here. It's a little bit of an older demographic. And with adult use coming into the equation, we're seeing a lot of baby boomers uh, that are coming back into the marketplace. These are consumers that have, may have tried cannabis, you know, 30 years ago that are coming back and saying, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm retired. The kids, are, the kids are off at school. I'm an empty nester. You know, I'd like to try this either for, you know, recreational purposes or potentially medical purposes. And they're coming back in, and they're normally gravitating towards vape oils, topicals, and edibles. So uh, a little bit of a different makeup of the discretionary income in this marketplace down here is uh, significant. We tend to mon- uh, monetize that the best way we can. Does Terratech have any plans to expand outside its current states of California, Nevada, and New Jersey? Yeah, not right now. If you refer back to my comments at the, uh, on the 10K, um, those are our primary objectives right now. And, 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 and for a couple purposes, you know, every time we jump into a new market, it's new office space, it's new employee hires, it's new legal counsel, it's new lobbyists, it's plane flights and hotels back and forth and that type of thing. And you know, it, it, it adds up, right? We're trying to take it easy on corporate SG&A. We're trying to increase gross margins and, and lean out our operations. So we have the fifth largest economy in the world in our backyard until I've effectively penetrated that to the maximum capacity. It just doesn't make much sense for me to jump out in other marketplaces. Now, certainly Nevada makes a bunch of sense for strategic purposes, branding purposes. It's a 40-minute flight away. We can combine resources. 
uh, create economies of scale with the California marketplace to a certain degree. And Jersey makes a ton of sense, too, because we have a significant infrastructure there, a ton of employees there, corporate offices there, et cetera, and so forth. So as we sit right now, we're not looking at other marketplaces until we've had an opportunity to fully saturate the ones that we're in. That being said, you know, we're constantly in conversations. We're constantly on the lookout. And if there's a layup that doesn't require a ton of effort and energy, that's certainly something we'll take a hard look at. But our core focus is California, Nevada, and New Jersey. Okay, last question. Uh, does the company have a time frame of when it plans to uplist? Well, I'd like to do it tomorrow, but, you know, it's not on my time frame, unfortunately. So, um, you know, one of the reasons we conducted the reverse, we brought in a significant amount of capital. We're strengthening up the balance sheet. You know, for all practical purposes, we meet almost every standard to uplist at this juncture. We'd have to increase our independent board members and do some other corporate governance things. But for all effective purposes, we could uplist very quickly. So, you know, we're certainly positioning ourselves with that, but I think we're going to need to see some semblance of federal movement, which we're starting to see with Cory Gardner's bill that's under development right now in his conversations and stalemate that he had with uh, the Department of Justice as well as Trump. There seems to be a consensus there at this point, and I've said, you know, for the last year uh, on calls and as well as in the media that I think, you know, with the way that the polling's been taking place and more and more Americans and constituents right now are supporting regulated and legalized cannabis because of the uh, economic effect associated with it, uh, coupled with... Uh, it being midterm elections and a lot of the uh, kind of, say, libertarian-minded Republicans uh, being concerned about their seats and control of the House and control of Senate, this could end up being the 